0: The year 2000 was going to be very special for a multitude of reasons. We were entering into a new millennium, a new era, a year that only existed in science fiction stories. This was by no means a conventional new year. It was finally the future. But maybe not the future everyone was anticipating. Millions of people around the world spent their last moments in the 1900s staring at the clock, but not for the reason that you might think. Instead of celebrating, they were terrified because as soon as the clock struck midnight, the world was going to end. And within the blink of an eye, the year 2000 would instead be a future now past. Word had been going around about this upcoming event for years now. The public even coined a name for this phenomenon, Y2K. And as the late 1990s creeped up and the year 2000 approached, people crowded up stores across the world and lined up to buy food, water, weapons, and supplies to create survival kits. Because on this date, according to many credible sources, computers would malfunction, prison gates would open, Dams would flood, banks would lose all their money, nuclear missiles would launch by themselves. They did this because they were told the end was near. But why? What exactly caused such a strange worldwide panic like this one to arise? If the year 2000 was so dangerous, how were we still here? To fully understand the curious story behind Y2K and how it was able to cause such the level of panic that it did, we first need to discuss what exactly all of it means. To be clear, world-ending predictions were by no means a new thing. But no, this was something different. Y2K wasn't just some Armageddon story made up by conspiracy theorists. This was actually something that might have validity to it, and many people at the time took note of this and prepared for the worst. And that's exactly what made Y2K such a crazy story. In fact, there were three big things going on in the 20th century, and especially the 90s, that were responsible for the Y2K scare, the exponential growth of technology, the ambiguity and mystique that was present behind the brand new personal computer, and the overwhelming access of information that the world saw at the end of the century. And these factors also tie into the origins of the Y2K story. So what exactly was the story? How did Y2K work? The answer to this question actually goes farther back than you might think. The first known mention of Y2K as a legitimate issue goes back to 1958, discovered by an IBM employee, Bob Bemmer, who was also a renowned computer scientist at the time. He proposed this idea of a 2000 bug during a time where computers were still brand new, a lavish and costly byproduct of World War II. But with time these machines could become incredibly sophisticated and part of our everyday lives and he recognized this in 1958 memory was extremely expensive and naturally to save money while maximizing efficiency they removed what they thought was redundant information and that's what y2k was centered on it all had to do with how numbers were presented on a clock That's where the term Y2K comes from, abbreviating year 2000. You see, computers at the time only took the last two digits of a year into account when calculating the date, as having the 19 at the beginning of each set of digits just used up more memory than was worth. The last two digits were more than fine. It is not like people were looking at these computers to see what year it was anyway. It was used for logging and record keeping, and the last two digits were plenty for that. There were even some computers that only used one digit to represent the year. So instead of 1978, you just had eight. I mean, everyone knew it was still the 20th century. But what would happen as we approach the 21st century? Well, naturally, the year 2000 would have to be represented as 00. But how would a computer that only stores the last two digits of a year react to that? Would it read it as 100? Or would it backtrack and read it as zero, and slowly tick back up as the years progress? Is the year 2001 or 1901? Now at face value, this probably seems like a mixed bag in terms of severity. There were those that saw this as just people overthinking how a computer operates. They're making too much out of it. It's not gonna be anything. Just another day. Of course I may be wrong while others saw just how serious the implications of this could be. I don't think you have enough time because as the year goes on, supplies could be less and less. Keep in mind, even at the time, computers just don't store dates and times to be organized and keep records. They also use these dates and times to make important calculations with data. The bank is a great example of this. There were fears that on Y2K, all the money in the banks would be gone. And there's a valid reason to think this, and it all has to do with computer error. It's not like on January 1st, the money would just disappear from all the safes, but instead the bank servers and computers would calculate the money's interest based on the time and date. If the computers were to clock back to zero, the interest would likely be all over the place, That's what people feared. And that actually was the case. On January 1st, 2000, a man in Germany very briefly had $6 million in his bank account, with the transaction for the interest on his account dating to December 30th, 1899. The bank was calculating all the interest that had compounded since that date. Now that was just one bank that didn't update their software on time. Imagine this on a global scale. People see their new account balance, they scream a couple of Eurekas, and now thousands of people are withdrawing huge amounts of money at the bank. Or maybe you have the opposite problem. A bank transaction is read as being dated 1999, and the computer panics because it thinks it's 1900, and calculates the interest backwards. Now people's accounts are in overdraft, they panic sell all their assets, they take out loans, and now the banks are again empty that way. This is actually very similar to what happened with the stock market crash in 1929, but instead it's with computer bugs. Not only that, in Japan, nuclear energy plants actually had several alarms start to go off a couple minutes after midnight due to this bug. What if the same were to happen with missiles and create false alarms of a potential nuclear attack? Now you probably see where the problem lies, and naturally why people panicked, and banks and nuclear missiles were only part of it. All these issues created by the bug would make the everyday necessities and privileges of society to malfunction or even cease to exist, which would lead to anarchy and, before you know it, full-out civil war. Y2K would be the quick domino effect for the end of the world. But let's go back a bit and see what our options are, because luckily Y2K can be stopped, but it's going to take a lot of work and be very expensive. This is exactly what people in the late 90s were thinking. They had to act fast, and in many respects, they did. There's a scene from Office Space that actually describes Y2K and the debug effort perfectly, a film that's actually from that era and came out before the year 2000. An adult comedy unintentionally serves as a valuable primary source for studying Y2K. I sit in a cubicle and I update bank software for the 2000 switch. To save space, they use two digits for the date instead of four, so like 98 instead of 1998. Uh, So I go through these thousands of lines of code, and uh, it doesn't really matter. (laughs) But keep in mind just how last minute all of this was. Back in 1958, people mostly disregarded the warning proposed by Bemer, both due to distance in time and constantly changing technology. 2000 was still 42 years away. We had some time to worry about it. But as humanity continued putting it off and procrastinating on fixing the problem, the date continued to come closer and Y2K was presenting itself as more of a bigger threat every day. But people in 1958 assumed that 40 years from now, the old computers would have been upgraded by then to acknowledge and fix that problem, except in many cases, that was not true. Lots of companies who didn't feel the need to put all this effort and money into upgrading their machines just stuck with the old technology. As you can clearly see, there's a bit of a contradiction here. People believe that in the future, all the computers and their software would be updated to fix these problems by then. But at the same time, a lot of these companies had no reason to upgrade because the 30-year-old machines still worked. People just didn't know what to do with all this technology that was continuously advancing at an unprecedented rate. And this was apparent with the general public's perception of Y2K as well. People constantly had to adapt to new things and ideas to the point where change became almost routine. Oh, a devastating bug is about to end the world? Might as well prepare for the worst. It is very easy to underestimate just how much technology changed during the 20th century. We went from the horse and buggy to the Hubble Space Telescope in one lifetime. Jeanne Galma, who met Vincent van Gogh when she was a teenager and was almost in her 40s when the Titanic sank, lived long enough to use Netscape Navigator and see Jerry Maguire in theaters. Technology changes a lot in 100 years, and that can be intimidating. The personal computer being used by the masses was still a new concept, meaning that a lot of these people didn't really understand it, or really cared to understand it. The general public wasn't putting effort into learning about the technical details behind the Y2K bug. They were just living their normal lives, watching the TV and reading the paper and reading on the internet what the media was telling them. And that was the key component which really brought the Y2K panic to its extreme. Consequently, in the 90s, you had the rise of fake news. This is not to say that Y2K was some fabricated and convoluted hoax, because it wasn't. But it was embellished. Consider the amount of money countries spent on updating software to be Y2K proof. The United States spent so much money on Y2K remediation, whereas Italy spent very little, but both countries experience roughly the same level of Y2K problems, But this doesn't take into account what Italy spent on government departments and business testing, which could have been in the billions. So yes, Y2K was serious and could have caused some significant problems if not catered to. But end-of-the-world serious? Probably not. But this didn't stop the news from telling people that airplanes were going to fall out of the sky and that a worldwide famine would occur. Airplanes and trains may come to a halt. The 90s were essentially a transitioning point between having to believe everything you hear on the news because, well, it's all you have, and anyone being able to write the news. In the 60s, when television was still new, you mainly had people like Walter Cronkite just sitting in front of a camera, stating the news, stating the facts, and you had newspapers. The only information you could really get was from corporate companies who specialized in research and accuracy. In the 90s, you had the internet. More news, more information. You can thank the personal computer for this. An explosion of easily accessible information and more people being able to share their opinions through blogs, online journals, etc. With the internet, everyone had equal representation, including the reputable and maybe some of the more unconventional people could post whatever they wanted and gain popularity from it, even if they were lying. This was the case with Y2K. You now had a ton of misleading tabloids and news coverage about how the apocalypse was on its way, preying on generations of people who were still used to the old ways of retrieving information. It was the perfect recipe for disaster. And to many people's surprise, on January 1st, obviously nothing dangerous happened. And people, shortly after, began to take note of the sensationalism that had just occurred. Christian author Cole Stringer put it eloquently that many preachers who took advantage of people's feelings during the Y2K scare never apologized for their scaremongering tactics. The same could be applied to the media the United States would end up spending roughly $100 billion on the Y2K repair bill, designed to combat any glitches related to the 2000 switch. Regardless of how severe things could have been, Y2K was not fake, it was avoided. But because computer glitches are often so unpredictable and can yield different results depending on the setup, there is theoretically no way of knowing just how much damage Y2K could have caused. Whether or not the United States would have been okay without the Y2K repair bill will always be speculation, but despite all the fear-mongering Y2K created, there was some good that came out of it. It essentially forced thousands of computers to upgrade to the latest and greatest software, something that likely wouldn't have happened for a long time had a glitch like it not present itself. It not only prepared people to be more critical of the things they are told, but it also taught them to consistently adapt to an ever-changing world. So thank you, Y2K, for finally taking us to the future that we always wanted. Thank you so much for watching. If you enjoyed this video, please subscribe and click the notification bell so that you never miss a future video.